What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I'm your host, JT, and we got a really entertaining episode today. So I know you guys really enjoyed my last what if, what if Jimmy Garoppolo didn't overthrow Emmanuel Sanders in Super Bowl 54. And we're back with another one regarding the San Francisco 49ers. We're going to be discussing what if the 49ers drafted Mac Jones instead of Trey Lance third overall in the 2021 NFL Draft? Is this Brandon Staley's final season with the LA Chargers? I'm going to be giving you guys my top 10 rookies that will have the biggest impact this season. Matt Rule, Luke Fickle, both are with new college football programs. Which one will have more success in 2023? And SMU football... I know there's probably not a lot of you guys who keep up with the Mustangs, but they've been having a pretty interesting offseason. We're going to be talking about why they could surprise you in 2023. Before we get into it, if you haven't already, make sure that you go ahead, leave a like, and subscribe to the channel. We go live 5 p.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday. You can also listen to the audio version of this podcast. We're not just available on YouTube. You can find us on all podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts from, you can find the JT Sports Podcast. Leave us with a five-star review. We're trying to get to 100 five-star reviews before the season begins. We currently are at 68 on Apple, and we have a long ways to go on Spotify. So if you enjoyed this episode, rate us five stars. You can find us on Apple and Spotify. All you got to do is type in the JT Sports Podcast, and it should pop up. Or you can go down to the description down below, scroll down a little bit, and there will be the link to the Apple and Spotify versions of the channel. Brandon Staley, without a doubt, is on the hot seat. After the Chargers blew that 27 lead, that 27 point lead to the Jacksonville Jaguars in the wild card round, I thought that he was going to be on his way out. And I thought that the Chargers were going to go out and trade for Sean Payton, but that didn't happen. They kept Brandon Staley. He's going into year three, but he did fire his offensive coordinator. He brings in Kellen Moore, which I do think is going to be a drastic upgrade from the previous OC that they had. But I don't know how you Chargers fans are feeling about Brandon Staley, but I have a strong feeling that this probably is going to be his last year as the head coach of the LA Chargers because for some reason, he's supposed to be a defensive-minded coach, but this defense has yet to play at an elite level. In the one season that he was the defensive coordinator for the LA Rams, they had the best defense in the NFL. Now, you can say, well, JT, it's taking him a while to get his guys. We've had injuries on the defense. Listen, it doesn't take this long if you're a defensive-minded coach to have the defense playing at a better level than what the Chargers have been getting at over the last couple of seasons. And then it's not just the fact that his defenses haven't been good, but he's also overly aggressive And he's not really a great game manager. Like, there's been plenty of games that I've watched of the LA Chargers when Brandon Staley is aggressively going for it on fourth down instead of opting to go with the field goals. And his fourth down attempts normally don't work out all that often. And then he doesn't really make good halftime adjustments. And he's not a great head coach when it comes to getting the most out of his players on the defense side of football you can say well we've had all these injuries and we haven't had such and such but at the end of the day if you're a defensive minded coach the defense should be a strength of your team you should be able to put your defense on the field and your defense should be able to go ahead and get some stops for you and the LA Chargers have Super Bowl expectations And this is a roster that is more than capable of being able to make it to a Super Bowl. You have Justin Herbert in his prime, who's been an elite quarterback ever since he took over the reins at QB for you. You also have one of the best receiving cores in the NFL. You got Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and then you draft Quinn Johnston. And yeah, you did have some injuries, but even when those guys are on the field, you're still not being able to get over the hump in the playoffs. Last year was your first time going to the postseason under Brandon Staley, and there was some optimism that maybe the Chargers could have a little bit of a playoff run, and of course that got ended by the Jacksonville Jaguars fairly quickly. 
And then you look at the talent that they've brought in on defense. I mean, yeah, J.C. Jackson kind of looks like a whiff right now. You paid him a lot of money in free agency not too long ago, but you also have some other guys on that defense who are really talented. Joey Bosa. You also have Khalil Mack, who you traded for. What about Kenneth Murray? This dude was a former first-round pick, and he still hasn't really lived up to that first-round billing. Brandon Staley, I just think that time is starting to run out for him. And I don't think the Chargers are going to make it into the playoffs this year. This is a division that is way tougher than what it was last season. You got Sean Payton now, the head coach of Denver. Denver is going to be a better team than what they were last year. And then you have the Kansas City Chiefs who are still the Kansas City Chiefs. So you look at the Los Angeles Chargers, the way they were able to get into the postseason last year, they were able to beat up on teams that didn't have good quarterbacks or weren't really good at all. Now, their best win, in my opinion, in 2022 came against the the Miami Dolphins you have to give Brandon Staley a lot of credit for the game plan that he ended up assembling together to slow down Miami's offense and pretty much shut them down for the whole entire game so I do give him a lot of kudos for that and I don't think he is a bad coach per se but I do think with the talent that the Chargers have this season if they can at least make it out of the wild card round he probably is going to end up getting the pink slip and there was discussions about him probably getting fired after they blew that 27-point lead against Jacksonville in the wildcard round. That should not have happened. Trevor Lawrence had four interceptions, and then all of a sudden, he comes out like a bat out of hell after halftime, and the Jaguars end up beating the LA Chargers 31-30. And I know there has to be a lot of disappointment Amongst the Chargers fan base still, when you replay and you think about how that game went down, because most Chargers fans probably thought that that game was all but over, and then Jacksonville comes back, and the LA Chargers end up having a stunning upset to Jacksonville, at least to some people, because it wasn't the upset to me, even though I was surprised how the upset took place, I still had Jacksonville winning that game, because the Chargers have been one-dimensional on offense over the last couple of years, they haven't really been all that effective running the football, and yes, I do know that you have had injuries on the offensive line, but it still doesn't excuse you having one of the worst rushing attacks in the NFL, with Kellen Moore being your offensive coordinator, that should improve, but what about this defense improving, this defense still has and looked at a elite level under Brandon Staley being the head coach and he is a defensive minded coach and despite all the injuries that you have if you're a defensive minded coach you should be able to scheme with the players that you do have who are available and who are healthy I don't think Brandon Staley is going to survive the end of next season and come into 2024 still the head coach of the LA Chargers come kickoff next year I just don't think he's a great coach I think he's a pretty good coordinator and I do think he's a decent head coach I don't think he's a bad head coach but when you have a quarterback like Justin Herbert you just need more and you can't have a guy like Brandon Staley who's just overly aggressive who isn't able to get it done in the big games in the postseason. I mean, there's no reason why you should blow a 27-point lead. I was thinking that the Chargers were finally going to fire this dude and that they were going to end up bringing in Sean Payton, but that didn't happen. And there were Charger fans who, after his first season, who wanted Brandon Staley out of there because there were Super Bowl aspirations that season. So for the Chargers, they kind of have underachieved under Brandon Staley. And if you're a Chargers fan right now, you're listening to this, what are your expectations for LA this year? Are you expecting the Chargers to be able to make it out of the wild card round? Because if that doesn't happen, do you want Brandon Staley back? I mean, you have a Super Bowl caliber roster. When this is a fully healthy team, this is one of the most talented teams in the AFC good receivers, good offensive line, great quarterback, and this is a talented defense on paper. So if you can't get past the first round of the playoffs, I think it's going to be pretty apparent that Brandon Staley just isn't the guy. So I'm not expecting Brandon Staley to be around too longer with the LA Chargers, and I would be extremely surprised if the LA Chargers end up 
not just making it to the playoffs this year, but also being able to win a playoff game because I just don't think that Brandon Staley is just a good game manager when it comes to what needs to be necessary for a head coach to be successful. You got to be good managing the clock in late game situations, which Brandon Staley doesn't do a good job at. And you got to have a feel of knowing when to go for it on fourth down and when to throw the towel in and just go ahead and take your three points. What if the 49ers didn't draft Trey Lance in the 2021 NFL Draft third overall? There were a lot of reports around that time that speculated and suggested that the 49ers had a lot of interest on Mac Jones being drafted with that selection. So what if the 49ers, we rewind history, and instead of them taking Trey Lance third overall, they go ahead and they take Mac Jones? Now, if this ends up happening, Trey Lance probably falls to the Carolina Panthers at eight, or maybe he goes to the Denver Broncos. Maybe the Broncos don't draft Patrick Sertan because there were some Denver Broncos front office executives who did show up to Trey Lance Pro Day, also some executives for the Carolina Panthers as well. And then they probably don't get J.C. Horn. He probably falls. Patrick Sertan, if he gets drafted, not by the Broncos, he probably falls as well. And then for the 49ers, you probably still have Jimmy Garoppolo starting for you that season. Jimmy Garoppolo was going to be the starter regardless if Trey Lance was good or not. So I'm guessing for the 49ers, they just weren't all that comfortable just throwing a rookie quarterback out there right out the gate unless he had a little bit of time to sit and learn the system. So you get Mac Jones in there who sits a year behind Jimmy Garoppolo and then come 2022, Mac Jones comes in and I think that you end up having the number one overall seed in the NFC. And that may sound crazy because the Philadelphia Eagles went 14-3, and but last year, the 49ers lost to the Chicago Bears week 1, 19-10, and the biggest reason why they lost that game was because Trey Lance struggled. So if you have Mac Jones, who would have been a better fit in that offense because Kyle Shanahan's offense is predicated on timing and having an accurate quarterback. That's something that Mac Jones was highly praised for when he was coming out of Alabama. And you couple that with the fact that you had one of the most talented teams in the NFL last season, you probably end up beating the Chicago Bears week one. And you also probably end up beating the Denver Broncos because remember Trey Lance was injured around that point. And then Jimmy G comes in and he was what you expect Jimmy G to be and consistent in that game and that's why you lost by one point to Denver but if you have Mac Jones you beat not just the Chicago Bears but you also went against the Denver Broncos and the 49ers if their season would have continued the way that it did after those two losses they would have end up having a record of 15 wins and only two losses which would have gave them the advantage and that one seed conversation for the Philadelphia Eagles well, against the Philadelphia Eagles. So if you get Mac Jones, you probably don't have the whole Brock Purdy thing coming around. Brock Purdy probably ends up still being the backup. Or maybe Jimmy G, if you still can't find a way to trade him, he still is the backup. But I don't think that Mac Jones ends up suffering the same fate that Trey Lance did because I think a large reason why Trey Lance got injured was because Kyle Shanahan was treating his quarterback like a damn running back. You definitely weren't going to be utilizing Mac Jones in that fashion. And Mac Jones, for the people who say, man, JT, like Mac Jones wouldn't have been a good fit for Kyle Shanahan's offense. Let me remind you that Kyle Shanahan runs a offense that's predicated on getting the ball out fast, a quarterback that's accurate in a shorter intermediate passing game and has a high football IQ. All three of those things is why Mac Jones coming out of that draft class was regarded as the most NFL ready. That's why he got drafted by New England. They were looking for a quarterback who could come in and be good right away. Now, if this ends up happening, then the Patriots, who do they get at quarterback? If Trey Lance ends up getting drafted by Carolina or Denver, does Justin Fields still get taken by the Chicago Bears? So does that mean that the New England Patriots end up going corner and Cam Newton potentially ends up still being the starting quarterback for Carolina going into that season because you got to remember that Mac Jones was just so good during OTAs and minicamp that 
He just made Cam Newton just look washed up and made him look like a jabroni to the point that Cam Newton ended up getting released because they had so much confidence in Mac Jones. So for the Patriots, are they a worse team without Mac Jones, with how he performed during his rookie season? Because Mac Jones was the best rookie quarterback that season. And he also made it to the Pro Bowl in New England, ended up being a playoff team due to how well Mac Jones performed that season. And you put him with the 49ers, Mac Jones probably ends up being way better than what he was with New England, especially when you think about how last season went for him, having Matt Patricia as his offensive coordinator. Now, do the 49ers go further in the playoffs with Mac Jones versus having a Jimmy G or Brock Purdy? Probably not. I still think that based off this season, they probably still lose to the Philadelphia Eagles because the Philadelphia Eagles would just stack at every single position. But I do think that you don't have the current quarterback situation that the 49ers are dealing with right now with Brock Purdy coming off that elbow injury, Jimmy G's now gone, and Trey Lance. You don't even know if this dude is good enough to be a starting quarterback in the league. And then you got Sam Darnold, who is a good backup option but if you got Mac Jones you probably don't have the questions about your quarterback position for the long term and people say that Mac Jones should have been drafted that high when you draft that high you got to go for the guy with the higher upside I disagree with that Kyle Shanahan according to these reports he really liked it Mac Jones and he was talked out of drafting him according to some other rumors out there that say that John Lynch and other people inside of the 49ers front office wanted Trey Lance. And I get it. You go for the upside. You swing for the fences because you want the superstar potential. But Mac Jones could have been a really good QB. He could have been maybe not a elite QB, but better than Jimmy Garoppolo. Because what does Mac Jones bring to the table that Jimmy G does? More mobility, even though Mac Jones isn't the most mobile quarterback in the game, he still does have enough mobility to be able to pick up some yards with his legs. He really is good in play-action situations if you want to get him outside the pocket and get him on the run. Like, Mac Jones is a solid quarterback, and he's a really good fit in this Kyle Shanahan's offense. And with Kyle Shanahan's play calling, Mac Jones gets elevated. Most people viewed Mac Jones' ceiling coming out of Alabama no better than a top 12 QB. But with Kyle Shanahan having Mac Jones in his system, Mac Jones probably becomes a top 10 QB. Now, he probably doesn't end up becoming a highly ranked top 10 QB, but he probably ends up being around 9 or 8. And I know some people are going to disagree with that, but you got to remember that Mac Jones had a fantastic rookie season with the New England Patriots. He just got held back his sophomore season due to the fact that Bill Belichick mishandled the offensive coordinator position. Why the hell would you make your defensive coordinator your OC? That's beyond me, but that's why I'm not coaching, and that's why I get paid to talk in front of a microphone, people. But well, Kyle Shanahan, Mac Jones, builds off his rookie season, well, his second season, but that technically would be his rookie season because in this, situ in this situation, in this scenario, we're still, going, we're still going off the assumption that Mac Jones still has to sit behind Jimmy G because Trey Lance sat behind Jimmy G for a whole entire season. So many people probably would speculate that Mac Jones still doesn't end up dethroning Jimmy G because Kyle Shanahan probably just didn't want to throw a rookie QB out there that fast he probably still wanted Mac Jones to get a better understanding of the playbook and having somebody to learn from and sitting behind Jimmy Garoppolo for a year which would have set Mac Jones up for better success year two because he didn't have to worry about the turmoil when it came to the offensive coordinator position and also you had receivers that were actually able to separate last year Mac Jones was throwing to Devontae Adams imagine what he could be doing with a Brandon Ayuk a George Kittle and a Debo Samuel with a legitimate running game behind him even though Rahamdre Stevenson was really good but the Patriots didn't have a good offensive line last season so everything that Mac Jones would have in San Francisco would be way better than what he currently has right now with the New England Patriots and what that means for Trey Lance if Trey Lance ends up going to Carolina he probably ends up being exposed even faster because you saw how Matt Rule's final seasons went 
in Carolina. The quarterback position was his Achilles heel. So Trey Lance probably gets thrown out there to the Wolves really early his rookie season. He probably struggles and he probably isn't that good. And he ends up being a bust quickly versus how people still are on the fence about Trey Lance right now. And then for Justin Fields, I still believe that he ends up going to the Chicago Bears if the Devil Broncos end up taking Trey Lance, Patrick Sictan, he probably falls, but he probably doesn't fall too far. But you got to remember that Trey Lance had a lot of interest. There were some people who believed that maybe the Atlanta Falcons could have drafted Trey Lance fourth overall, but they ended up going with Kyle Pitts once Trey Lance got drafted by the 49ers at three. But... If the 49ers draft Mac Jones, a lot of things change. Not just are the 49ers better off long-term at the quarterback position, because regardless of what you say, well, Mac Jones isn't a great QB. He's an average QB. He's like a Kirk Cousins. Well, didn't Kyle Shanahan have some interest not too long ago in signing Kirk Cousins? Correct me if I'm wrong, but Kyle Shanahan seems to like quarterbacks who are able to be accurate, who are smart with the football. And you look at Trey Lance on the other hand, yeah, he's a better athlete than Mac Jones, but better all, well, after all, who do you think would have given the 49ers the better chance to win last season if it came down to Mac Jones or Trey Lance? Probably Mac Jones. We still don't know if Trey Lance is good or not, but based off these reports that we keep hearing, Trey Lance still is a developmental project. So right now, it looks like the 49ers with that third overall selection, they made a wasted pick because we still don't even know if Trey Lance is good. Meanwhile, with Mac Jones, we kind of already have a good indication of what Mac Jones can be. And if you put him in college and in his system, he gets elevated to being a nine or 10 best QB in the NFL with the talent that he has around them and the coaching. So if the 49ers drafted Matt Jones, I think they would be better off in a better position right now versus what they are with drafting Trey Lance because nobody wants to trade for Trey Lance. There's not really a huge market for Trey Lance. And also, Brock Purdy, there's still reservations about him, even though I'm a big believer in Brock Purdy. But if we're going off the overall consensus in this situation, if Mac Jones never gets injured, like Trey Lance got injured earlier in the season because of how Kyle Shanahan was running him, we probably never get to see Jimmy Garoppolo, and we probably don't even get to see Brock Purdy. So this is my what-if scenario if the 49ers were to draft Mac Jones instead of Trey Lance third overall in the 2021 NFL draft, let me know what you guys think about that down in the comment section down below. Now, I want to give you guys 10 rookies that I think are going to have the biggest impact for the upcoming 2023 NFL season. This isn't just filled with first round picks. You're also going to have a couple of guys here who didn't go in the first round, but I think these rookies are going to be really important to their teams having success this year. And I'm going to start off with rookie center out of Wisconsin, Joe Tittman. Everybody keeps questioning how good the New York Jets offensive line is going to be with Aaron Rodgers taking snaps underneath center. Well, the key to having a great offensive line in the NFL most of the time starts with the guy that you have at center. And the New York Jets haven't had a good center since who? Nick Mangold? And that was how many years ago, fam? So you bring in Joe Tittman. This dude was one of the best offensive linemen coming out of this past year's draft. He is 6'6", 317 pounds, and this dude is so fun to watch. I'm not really somebody that's big on scouting offensive linemen. As a matter of fact, I don't really pay attention to it at all. But if I turn on the game and I see a guy just throwing guys around and mauling guys to the ground, he's going to get on my radar. And Joe Tittman had a hella pancakes last season. I lost count of how many guys he put on there you know what and you look at the fact that not just does he have great size and athleticism but this dude is the definition of a bulldozer and for the New York Jets if this is going to be a solid offensive line this year you're going to need Joe Tittman to play at a high level now the New York Jets offensive line isn't as bad as what a lot of people think you got Makai Beckton who isn't a bust 
At least when he plays, he is really good. The problem with Makai Beckton just is the fact that he can't stay healthy. You got Lincoln Tomlinson. You got Elijah Vera Tucker. So this is a pretty decent offensive line. And if Joe Timmon can play at a high level, this is going to be one of the better offensive lines in the NFL. So I have Joe Tittman at number 10. If the New York Jets offensive line ends up playing well this year, best believe it's going to be because Joe Tittman is having a very fantastic rookie season. Number nine, I got my guy Tank Dell. Now, I know Tank Dell being on this list is probably going to cause a lot of backlash. Some people are going to be like, oh, JT, how you got Tank Dell on this list, but not so-and-so? Well, the reason for this is because unlike some of the other rookie wide receivers out there, Tank Dell doesn't have another true number one that he's going to be competing with. The only guy who he has in front of him right now is old man Robert Woods, and Robert Woods isn't really as good as what he used to be. He's getting up there in age, and you don't know if he's going to be able to finish a full season. So if Tank Dell ends up getting some significant playing time this year, I believe that he's going to end up being the most productive or one of the most productive rookie season or one of the most productive rookie wide receivers in 2023. This guy, don't let his size fool you. He may be 5'8", 165 pounds, but in my opinion, he was the best route runner out of all the wide receivers coming out of this draft class. He also creates phenomenal separation. He also is fantastic after the catch, very explosive, very hard to bring down due to his agility and his elusiveness. And he was tearing it up at the Senior Bowl. Go and watch some Senior Bowl clips of Tank Dell. Do your research on Tank Dell and not tell me that this dude doesn't have what it takes to be one of the better slot receivers in the game. He's not really competing with anybody. The Houston Texans have a unproven wide receiving core. You got John Mechie, you got Xavier Hutchison. I mean, you got guys who have a lot of potential, but if you're looking at guys on Houston's team who could come in and make a media impact, I think that guy's going to be Tank Dell. When you think about some of the best receivers in the game, Justin Jefferson, Stephon Diggs, Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup, what do all of those guys have in common? Phenomenal route running. And most of the times, the receivers that are successful in the league are the guys who run great routes. And I think Tank Dell is going to end up having a phenomenal rookie season. And a lot of people are going to end up figuring out about, figuring out about Tank Dell sooner rather than later. There's a reason why C.J. Stroud wanted Houston to draft him. He also played college ball at Houston, so he already knows the area. This is somebody who wants to be there. He's one of those guys that D'Amico Ryans is looking for. So I think Tank Dell is going to have a really big impact on this Houston Texans offense. And him and C.J. Stroud already have a really good relationship. He's been C.J. Stroud's most targeted receiver so far throughout OTAs and minicamp. So I have him at number nine. Number eight, I got Joey Porter Jr., Somehow the Steelers were able to nag this man in the second round and I was incredibly happy because he was one of the best cornerbacks coming out of this year's draft class. I have the first round grade on him. Most people in the NFL draft community did as well. He is a physical man-to-man corner who also excels in press co- press coverage. He has really good ball skills and the fact that he was a second round pick was a absolute steal for Pittsburgh and also his pops played for the Steelers. His pops is a Steelers legend so this was the best landing spot for Joey Porter Jr. When you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers secondary so far you got Levi Wallace on the other side you're going to have Patrick Peterson probably playing in that slot cornerback position. You got Minka at the safety position. So with Jory Porter, if he ends up having a really good rookie season, this is going to be a tremendous boost to the Pittsburgh Steelers defense because one thing that the Steelers haven't really gotten out of their cornerbacks in the last couple years was a guy who excels in man coverage. That's what Jory Porter does best. This is somebody who you put him in man-to-man press coverage, he's going to beat up on your wide receivers. And he was one of the best cornerbacks in all of college football over the last two years. So, Jory Porter, I think he's going to have a really impactful season for the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2023. Anthony Richardson comes in at number seven. Now, you either think Anthony Richardson is going to be a really phenomenal quarterback 
or you think that Anthony Richardson is going to be a bust. There's not really too much in between when it comes to how people feel about Anthony Richardson. 50% of people think he's going to suck, and 50% of people think that he's going to do wonders with head coach Shane Steichen. Now, I'm one of those people that lie in the 50% who believe in Anthony Richardson because of Shane Steichen. Shane Steichen has built the offense around Jalen Hurts. You saw how Jalen Hurts ascended last season for the Philadelphia Eagles. Shane Steichen also was Justin Herbert's offensive coordinator during his rookie season when he was going off. So Shane Steichen has a really fantastic track record when it comes to working and developing young quarterbacks entering the NFL. And Anthony Richardson, a lot of the flaws can be easily corrected with good coaching. Accuracy, you can coach that up with improving his footwork. You can teach somebody how to get better at reading defenses all these knocks that people got on Anthony Richardson can be corrected with great coaching and that's something that Shane Steichen has a really good resume of being able to do now in 2023 however I think Anthony Richardson is going to have a lot of lows but he's also going to have a lot of highs but when Anthony Richardson is going and he's playing at a really high level and he's not turning the football over Indianapolis is going to be a really hard offense to stop because not only do you have to worry about Anthony Richardson, but you also got to worry about Jonathan Taylor, who had a little bit of a disappointing season last year. And this is an offensive line that isn't that bad. This is an old line that underperformed last year. Around this time, going into the 2022 NFL season, most people regarded Indianapolis for having a top 10 offensive line and that offensive line just didn't perform at that level so if Shane Stocking can get those guys playing at the level that they used to play at prior to last year Anthony Richardson is going to have a really good offensive line he has a good group of receivers to throw the football to so for AR I'm expecting him to have a really fantastic rookie season this is somebody who's going to have a lot of splash plays with his arm strength. He's going to have a lot of fantastic balls thrown down the field. He is going to have some overthrows here and there, but you're also going to see a lot of highlight real runs because there's not too many quarterbacks with Anthony Richardson's size and athleticism. And most people compare him to Cam Newton, which I agree with. And I probably would say he's a more athletic version of Cam Newton due to the fact that he's way faster and way more agile. I also think that he has an arm that's just as good as what Cam Newton's was, if not better. So for Anthony Richardson, although he probably is going to have an up-and-down rookie season, when he ends up playing at a really high level, when he ends up reaching those peak moments during his rookie season, the Indianapolis Colts, this is going to be a really difficult team that most people are not going to want to play unless you catch Anthony Richardson having one of those games where he ends up having those rookie struggles. Christian Gonzalez comes in at number six he was drafted by New England 17th overall most people thought that he was going to be the second cornerback taken off the board and the Patriots got a steal by him following to them at 17th and he's 6'197 pounds this dude is a incredible athlete have you seen this man at the combine he was looking scary you don't really see cornerbacks with his size, his length that are this smooth. Now, sometimes last year when I was watching Oregon play, his technique was a little bit inconsistent at times. But you know that Bill Belichick being the greatest defensive mind in the history of this game is going to be able to coach him up. And hopefully, Jack Jones can get his legal issues solved because if they can get Christian Gonzalez and Jack Jones on the field at the same time, the New England Patriots are going to have one of the best secondaries in the NFL. Christian Gonzalez has rare athleticism for somebody with this size and this ability to change direction just on the whim. It's just downright scary. And Christian Gonzalez is what the New England Patriots need at the cornerback position when you got guys like Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, and... Also, Stefan Diggs, who have to see two times a year, a large reason why New England has struggled against some of the better offenses in the league is because they really haven't had the cornerback play that you need to be able to shut down those wide receivers. So you bring in a guy like Christian Gonzalez, this should be a guy who has an immediate impact, and this is somebody who should be in the running for a defensive rookie of the year with the skill set that he has. 
Zay Flowers comes in at number five. Zay Flowers was my number one ranked receiver coming out of this draft class. Fantastic route runner. Great after the catch. I think that he runs a lot faster in game than what he did during his 40-yard dash. And if you watch him play at Boston College, he was playing with some terrible quarterback play. Now imagine what he's going to do with Lamar Jackson. And then you have Todd Munkin as his OC. Zay Flowers is going to be used all around Baltimore's offense. They're going to use him on jet sweeps. They're going to get him involved in the screen game. they also probably going to move him around in the slot position outside as well. Some people look at Zay Flowers' size and they be like, oh, he's just 5'9". Like, he, he can only play in the slot. Like, no, Zay Flowers can also play outside as well with how good he is being able to beat press coverage. So for the Baltimore Ravens, you got Zay Flowers, OBJ, Rashad Bateman, Mark Andrews. So I think Zay Flowers going to Baltimore was a fantastic landing spot to him because it's not like they need him to become the man right away. Because despite the fact that Odell Beckham Jr., some people still feel that he's washed up, most defenses still give OBJ a good amount of respect because it's not like you're just going to say, you know what, we're not going to pay attention to OBJ at all because yes, you are because OBJ is still one of the more talented receivers in the game. So you look at the fact that you got OBJ getting a good amount of attention. You're going to have Rashad Bateman getting a good amount of attention. That's going to open up opportunities for Zay Flowers to get a good amount of looks. And then you also got to account for Mark Andrews and Isaiah Likely. So there's going to be plenty of targets to go around and plenty of opportunities for Zay Flowers to have a great rookie season. I think that Zay Flowers, out of all of the receivers that were drafted um, from this past year's draft, I think that he's going to have the best season out of all of them. I think he's going to put up the best numbers. You're looking at somebody that could end up putting up 1,100 yards right out the gate. So I'm really excited about Zay Flowers. Lamar Jackson has already gravitated towards him. I recently saw a training video with him and OBJ down there in South Florida trading with Goldfeed Global, which is one of the best receiving coaches in the South Florida area. So I think Zay Flowers is going to be the most impactful rookie in 2023. Devon Weatherspoon, a.k.a. Lil Spoon, comes in at number four. I think he's going to be the best rookie cornerback this season. You look at the fact that Seattle already has Tyreek Woolen and a very good back end of their secondary, and now you give them Devon Witherspoon. This is going to be the second coming of the no-fly zone for Seattle. Devon Witherspoon was my number one ranked cornerback. I love watching this man play. He is the most aggressive cornerback that I can remember in recent memory. Not just is he really aggressive in man coverage, but he's a cornerback that's not afraid to come down and lay that hem on you. There's not too many cornerbacks that like to hit anymore. A lot of these cornerbacks like to do all those ankle tackles. They like to dive at your legs. Devon Witherspoon, if he sees the opportunity to come down and slam you to the ground, he's going to come and lay that wood to you. That's why I love Devon Witherspoon, man. This dude is a throwback cornerback this is somebody who wants to get in your face he wants to beat you up he also has the versatility to play safety as well if Seattle wanted to move him around the defense but also he's scheme versatile so if Seattle wants to play him in man-to-man coverage he can do that at a high level he also can play zone coverage at a high level even though most people feel that he's better at man-to-man coverage than what he is in zone coverage but his aggressiveness It's what has made me such a big fan of his. Now, it also can be his downfall at times. Sometimes he can get a little bit too overly aggressive at times. But you're looking at a cornerback that has fantastic ball skills, has a very good football IQ. He's really good at anticipating routes, anticipating at when receivers are going to make their breaks and reacting to the ball. So I love Devon Witherspoon. I think he's going to be the best rookie cornerback in the NFL this year. And it's a large reason why I'm so high on the Seattle Seahawks. Like, think about it. They already got Tyreek Woolen. And you got Kobe Bryant, who's going to be playing in the slot. So if Devon Witherspoon ends up being the shutdown cornerback that most Seahawks fans believe that he will be, this is going to be one of the best secondaries, if not the best secondary in the NFL, because who are you going to throw to? You're not going to target Tyreek Woolen. He already proved to you that last year. And then you got Devon Witherspoon like, yeah, the team's going to try him early, and then he's going to make them pay. He's going to start getting a good amount of interceptions. And then if you want to go ahead and target Kobe Bryant, he's going to be just as good. 
And then you're going to have Jamal Adams coming back. Like, this is going to be one of the nastiest secondaries in the NFL. I love me some Devon Witherspoon, man. I love his game. B. John Robinson comes in at number three for the Atlanta Falcons, man. You look at B. John Robinson. He was one of the best running back prospects to come out in recent memory. Fantastic vision. Phenomenal after the catch. But a really underrated part of his game that not a lot of people talked about was how good he was catching the football. Not just is he good catching the football out of the backfield, but you also can line him out wide at receiver. And for the Atlanta Falcons, your receiving core isn't really great outside of Drake London. So you can move B. John Robinson in the slot. You can have Tyler Algier out there, Cordell Patterson, whoever you want to throw out there when you got B. John lined up wide. But there's just so much that B. John Robinson brings to the Falcons offense. And if the Falcons are going to end up making it to the postseason and potentially winning the NFC South this year, B. John Robinson is going to be a huge part of that because you know Arthur Smith, this dude lost the pound that football he lost to run the rock and you're probably not going to be asking Desmond Ritter to throw the ball all too often with how good the running back position is for the Atlanta Falcons going into this year you already had Tyler Algier who had a really good rookie season now you bring in B. John Robinson and the fact that you can move him all around the offense this dude is going to be a weapon because if you want to throw him passes out the backfield okay cool there's not too many linebackers who are going to be able to keep up with this guy when he decides to run routes and then if you're a defensive back covering B. John Robinson I mean this dude is a really good route runner this dude's route running is good as good as a wide receiver three or two so if you can give him the ball against defensive backs and obvious passing situations he's going to be a yak monster because we already know that these defensive backs do not like to hit and B. John Robinson excelled at making plays happen after contact so B. John Robinson comes in at number three At number two, we got my boy C.J. Stroud. I think the Texans are going to be way better than what a lot of people think. A lot of people think that the Arizona Cardinals are going to end up getting a top three, top five pick because of Houston. I doubt that. If you're an Arizona Cardinals fan and you're watching that, you're going to be incredibly disappointed because the Houston Texans are at least going to win seven games this year. This is going to be a great defense, and you're going to have an offense that should be pretty solid. C.J. Stroud has been getting rave reviews so far from his teammates. They are already considered him to be a veteran even though he's a rookie but that's kind of how he carries himself that's how he looks so far he already has a good grasp and understanding of the offense and the Houston Texans have a really good offensive line that's going to be blocking in front of CJ Stroud and then you got Damian Pierce in the backfield you're receiving core I don't think is bad you just have a lot of unproven talent there but you got his boy Tank Dell who he told you to draft and you went ahead and got it done who he has a really good rapport with I think that C.J. Stroud is going to have a fantastic rookie season for the Houston Texans. And somebody in the comment section says second QB taken is never that good. We're not going off history. We're going off right now. C.J. Stroud was a phenomenal QB coming out of this past year's draft process. He could have went number one overall. There were discussions about who was going to go number one in Carolina. C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young. C.J. Stroud is going to thrive. This dude is incredibly accurate. I think that he reads defenses really well, and he has a really damn good deep ball. So I like C.J. Stroud. I think he's going to have the second most impactful season right behind my guy who I have at number one, Bryce Young, a.k.a. King Bryce. Put some respect on Bryce Young. I don't care if he looks like a Darren preschooler. All you got to do is make sure that your offensive line is good enough to keep this guy upright and watch this man deliver. This man was carrying Alabama football on his back for the last two seasons. There's a reason why Nick Saban considered his Heisman year to be a rebuilding year. Nobody expected Alabama to be all that great that year. They got blown out by Georgia in the national championship game. Hell, they weren't even supposed to beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. And the reason why they beat Georgia in the SEC championship that year, they lost to them in the national championship, was due to the fact that Bryce Young was looking like Jesus on the football field. King Bryce, people. And for the people who think that Bryce Young is going to be a bust, all I got to tell you is go watch the film. What separates Bryce Young from other rookie QBs who get drafted highly is the fact that he has a really high football IQ. The way that he's able to read and process defenses. Do you not know that during his time at Alabama, he was given the opportunity to audible out of plays and he also was in charge of 
fixing the protections if need be. They gave Bryce Young a lot of freedom, and the Carolina Panthers are probably going to do the same thing. Now, you can say, well, JT, aren't they putting a little bit too much on Bryce Young's plate? Yes, but they aren't giving Bryce Young on his plate anything that he can't handle. My only concern about Bryce Young is that if he ends up taking one good hit by Grady Jarrett, it may be DOA, but as long as Carolina's offensive line can keep King Bryce up upright. I think that the Carolina Panthers are going to be a really good team. And I think that they're probably going to end up winning the NFC North, which I already said that. And the Carolina Panthers had a really good offensive line last year when it came to run blocking. And their passing offensive line, well, their offensive line when it came to pass blocking wasn't too shabby. I think they were like top 12, 11th or 12th, somewhere around that range. So, I think that Bryce Young is going to be the most impactful rookie this season. I think he's going to lead the Carolina Panthers to the playoffs and also the NFC South Division title, and I have him at number one. So this is it for my 10 most impactful rookies going into the 2023 NFL season. Let me know if there's a guy who I left off this list. Let me know if there's a guy on this list who you think should be taken off down in the comment section down below. If you haven't already, make sure that you go ahead and smash that like button. We go live every day, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Make sure that you listen to the JT Sports Podcast. We are available on all podcasting platforms, not just on YouTube. You can find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts from. You can find the JT Sports Podcast. Rate us five stars if you are enjoying this episode so far all you got to do is go to whichever podcasting service that you use type in the jt sports podcast and it will pop up or you can go down to the description down below scroll down a little bit and you will find the link to the apple and spotify versions of the podcast now let's talk about some college football Who's going to have more success in 2023 with their new program? Matt Rule or Luke Fickle? Now, I was surprised as hell. I don't know about you guys, but when I saw the news that Luke Fickle was leaving Cincinnati and going to Wisconsin, it, it had to be one of the most shocking coaching hires that I can recall in recent memory. Now, Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma for USC took me by surprise. And Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame from LSU surprised me, not because he was leaving for a better program, but more because I didn't think he was ever going to leave Notre Dame. But Luke Fickle leaving Cincinnati, a G5 school prior to this year, who he led to the college football playoffs being the only G5 team ever to make it to the college football playoffs. Like, I never thought he would leave Cincinnati. I thought that dude loved Cincinnati. He could have gotten way better coaching jobs at bigger programs, but he ends up going to Wisconsin, dog. Wisconsin. Like, you, if you are a Wisconsin fan, be honest. You had to be incredibly surprised when you landed Luke Fickle as your head coach. Now, Nebraska ends up getting Matt Rule. A lot of people had Matt Rule going somewhere. We know that this guy was too good of a college football coach to not be coaching somewhere. But him going to Nebraska was kind of a little bit of a shocking move. And I think that both of these guys are going to be incredible head coaches. But when it comes to the coach that probably going to have more success in 2023, I got to go with Luke Fickle. Wisconsin just overall has a better roster than Nebraska. They have a really good offensive line. You already know about Wisconsin. Like, one thing about Wisconsin, they're going to find them some good offensive linemen, man. Like, I don't know what the hell they be doing up there in that part of the country. But those boys that they be having on the offensive line, they are big, powerful, and fantastic football players up there on the offensive line on that side of football. So you have one of the best offensive lines, not just in the Big Ten, but one of the best old lines in college football. You bring in... Tanner Mordecai from the transfer portal who previously spent time at SMU. And you got offensive coordinator Phil Longo, who's been the OC for North Carolina from 2019 to last year. He's been really instrumental in developing Sam Howell and Drake May, who is expected to be drafted high in next year's NFL draft. So Tanner Mordecai should have a really good season, even though he was looking really shaky in the spring game. And... 
they also are changing their offense around. When you think about Wisconsin, you think about a team that likes to run the football. Like, one thing about Wisconsin is they used to love running the damn football. Like, it didn't matter what down the distance, they were still going to run the freaking football. And now they're getting away from that, and they're going to an air raid style offense. And even though they're going to an air raid offense, I still think they're going to be fairly balanced because you got Braylon Allen now running back, bro. This is one of the most talented running backs in college football. Like, it doesn't matter if you're a pass-heavy offensive coordinator. When you have this kind of beast at running back, you're going to feed him. And when you look at the talent that Nebraska has on offense, like, they do have some pretty talented guys. But overall, Wisconsin kind of has them beat when it comes to talent on offense. Now, I do love Jeff Sims, and we are going to show a lot of respect to Jeff Sims because he is my fellow brother from the 904. And you guys already know the policy on the JT Sports Podcast. We're unbiased unless it comes to a player from Duval because we got to represent the city. We got to represent the 904. So anytime this is a brother that we get to talk about from the 904, we are always going to be biased towards them and we are always going to give them the benefit of a doubt. And if you watch Jeff Sims during his time at Georgia Tech, he was, I think he was pretty solid. I think that the situation around him wasn't ideal, and he was pretty inconsistent at times, but the fact that he has Matt Rule as his head coach, remember what he did with Jerry Bohannon at Baylor? Like, Matt Rule is really good at being able to develop these dual-threat QBs, and Jeff Sims has a lot of upside, a lot of potential, and that potential most definitely can be reached, and he also was able to be named the starting quarterback pretty much over Casey Thompson, who was pretty good. And he ended up hitting the transfer portal. So Jeff Sims looked really impressive during the spring game. This dude is a phenomenal athlete. I think he runs somewhere between four or five, maybe he runs somewhere in the high four fours. And he also has a really good arm. He just has to get more consistent throwing the football between the numbers. I think he has to work on getting better in the short intermediate passing game. But overall, if Jeff Sims ends up peaking under Matt Rule, I think that that alone could end up elevating Nebraska slightly over Wisconsin because I do think that Tanner Mordecai, although he is a good college QB, I think that Jeff Sims has I think that Jeff Sims has better overall physical tools than Tanner Mordecai, better athlete, better arm strength. So the ceiling is just higher with Jeff Sims. Now, Nebraska's defensive line concerns me. I think it's a little bit of a huge question mark for them going into this year. They do have an experienced secondary, but overall, you look at Wisconsin, they normally always have good offensive line play, and they get great play out of their defense. So I got to go with Wisconsin, and I got to go with Luke Fickle to have more success than Nebraska in 2023. And also, Nebraska's overall under win total right now, I believe, is six and a half. I think that Wisconsin is like one game above them at seven and a half wins. Wisconsin, I also think, has a more manageable schedule than Nebraska. But overall, I think that both of these two programs with these two head coaches in their first year should at least be able to go bowling. Like I said, I think Wisconsin has the more talented team overall. They have more returning production than Nebraska. Wisconsin is third in the Big Ten overall returning production. Nebraska is tied for fourth in returning production. So I'm going with Luke Fickle to have a better first season and to have a more successful season than Matt Rule in 2023. Now, I know a lot of you college football fans probably don't pay attention to SMU. And I'm going to be honest with you, I wasn't paying attention to SMU until... A couple of months ago, there was a point where SMU had the fifth best transfer portal class. Now, they don't have that anymore. They currently are ranked 14th in their transfer portal class, according to 247 Sports. But they have Rhett Lashley as their head coach. Now, most of you guys don't know this, but I'm a diehard Miami Hurricanes fan. Yeah, I know it's bold to say that in the year 2023, but I will always follow Rhett Lashley because of him being the best offensive coordinator that the Miami Hurricanes have had in my whole entire lifetime being a Miami Hurricanes fan. I've been a Hurricanes fan since 2010, and we have just had awful OC after awful OC after awful OC. So the one good OC we had, he ended up getting snatched up by SMU to become their head coach, and it was a very good hire by SMU because you look at the way their offense played last season, their offense was spectacular. 
And they went 7-6. And SMU quietly is a program that if you are a non-SMU fan and you're just a fan of college football in general, you need to keep your eyes out on them because they now have a NIL collective that's putting a lot of bread together and they're dropping that bag. They are spending a lot of money, putting a lot of money into this football program. So you already knew that Texas had a lot of money. We know that TCU and Texas, they got really good alumni bases, but so does SMU. They got their collective together. And I think that was a large reason why they were able to have so much success in the transfer portal this offseason. Now, a lot of the guys they got from the transfer portal were former Hurricane players. We should, instead of calling them the SMU Mustangs, we should call them the SMU Hurricanes because a lot of these Miami Hurricane players, they hit that transfer portal and right lastly said, you know what? Come on the SMU. Just gave them a big old hug. And you got... Wide receiver Keyshawn Smith, who he had a really disappointing season last year. He was expected to break out after having a really good 2021 campaign, but he struggled with concentration drops. He he just wasn't really all that great. So he goes to Red Lashley, the guy who had the most success under. He should be really good for SMU this season. You also got Rooster at running back. I was really hurt when the Hurricanes lost Rooster. SMU, y'all better take good care of Jalen Knight. And this dude is a really good running back. You also got LJ Johnson. LJ Johnson, this dude was the eighth best running back in the transfer portal this offseason. So you were able to snatch him up. You also got Jordan Hudson, formerly played for TCU. He was the sixth-ranked wide receiver in the transfer portal. So SMU, they've been stacking talent out of the transfer portal when it comes to their skill position. But what about the offensive line? Well, the offensive line, they also picked up three really good offensive linemen from the transfer portal. So this offense should be really good and it probably could end up being better than what it was last year you want to know why because they got Preston Stone now Preston Stone I'm gonna be honest with you is a large reason why I was motivated to talk about SMU on this episode of the podcast because I was scrolling down my news feed on Instagram and I ended up seeing a reel by the 33rd team that was collaborated with somebody else saying that Preston Stone is Johnny Manziel 2.0. Now, I love me some Johnny Manziel. I don't give a damn what happened to him in the NFL. Johnny Manziel was a college football legend, and he really is the dude who got me invested into college football, man. Like, be honest, there was one point when you were my age in fifth grade or in middle school when you were doing this, when you were doing a little money signs with Texas A&M, everybody wanted to play quarterback and run around in the backyard and just throw the football up in the middle of the field. So when I saw that Preston Stone was getting compared to Johnny Manziel, I was like, okay, I got to check in the SMU football. And Preston Stone, turns out this dude ends up being one of the highest rated recruits in SMU history. So SMU... They just got it going on right now. You got Red Lashley as your head coach. You got your alumni base spending that bag for your NIL collective. And you're getting some really talented players out of the transfer portal. And just not just that, but you're getting a really damn good quarterback in Preston Stone. Like I was watching this dude's high school highlights. Like this dude was getting sticky. He was getting sticky. Now, either this guy has some insane joystick skills or either he was playing behind one of the worst off the lines that I've ever seen in my whole entire life watching high school football. But Preston Stone, I think, is going to be really good for SMU this year. And there are a lot of SMU fans who are hyped up for this dude. Now, we got to talk about this defense. Now, I know the defense is a sore subject for you SMU fans. And, you know, the defense last year was awful at everything they couldn't stop the run as a matter of fact they were giving up over 200 yards per game on the ground like damn how does that even happen how do you allow your defense to be that bad where you just give up over 200 yards on the ground so you think with their rushing defense being that bad their pass defense would be a little bit better but their pass defense wasn't even better like how are you just as bad defending the pass as you is defending the run like this defense couldn't stop a fly Me, you, and a lot of other people who are watching this video, we could have went out there, assembled a team in two weeks, maybe had a couple of days of practice, and we could have put up some points on SMU's defense with how bad they played. But 
they also went into the transfer portal and they addressed that too. So, like Red Lashley went into the portal and got a lot of former Miami Hurricane players on the offense side of football. He got a good amount of them from the transfer portal on the defense side of the ball. You got two former Hurricanes who are defense alignment who enter the program. Elijah Roberts and Jordan Miller both play for the Miami Hurricanes. They should be able to improve that run defense. You got a really good cornerback out of West Virginia and Charles Woods, who in 2021, he had a really productive season for West Virginia. He had two interceptions, a couple of pass breakups, so he's going to improve your secondary. Jonathan McGill is a really talented safety, one of the best safeties in the Pac-12, incredibly overlooked and underrated because Stanford was really bad last year. So you look at this defense, this defense should improve this year, even though I'm not expecting it to improve too much because anytime you just have an offense that scores so many points and scores so fast like SMU does, like you're never really going to have a good defense because unless you got great depth, which SMU probably doesn't have at cornerback, your guys are going to get tired fairly quickly. So even if SMU's defense improves, I don't think it's going to be a drastic improvement. But why do they need defense if they can just score, outscore everybody? Like, SMU should have one of the best offenses in college football this year. You got Preston Stone. You got a loaded group of wide receivers. You have a really good offensive line. And when you look at their schedule, they're not really playing anybody that really has any good defense. I mean, you got Louisiana Tech week one. You should take care of them. Then you got to go on the road and play Oklahoma. Now, a lot of Oklahoma fans got mad at me when I said that this is a strong possibility that SMU may end up going on the road to Norman and pulling off the upset. And there's a large chance that that happens because did you not see Oklahoma's defense last year under Brett Venables? It was one of the worst in college football. He's supposed to be a defensive-minded coach. And Oklahoma fans had the nerve to tell me, man, it was year one under Brent Venables, man. Like, of course the defense wasn't going to be great. Like, duh, we knew the defense probably wasn't going to be great, but we wasn't expecting Oklahoma to have one of the worst defenses in college football, man. Like, Brent Venables is supposed to be a defensive-minded coach, so... We are going to see a really good chess match between Brent Venables' new and improved Booner Sooners offense or defense versus SMU's offense. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. I hope you guys beat Oklahoma because Oklahoma fans just annoy the hell out of me. Like, they have one of the most annoying fan bases in in all of college football. Booner, sooner. Like, you don't know how aggravating it is to hear that, man. Like, I hope y'all go on the road and, and smash those boys, man. Like, I hope y'all just don't beat them by a last-minute touchdown or something. Like, I really hope that y'all go on the road and y'all crack those boys back to reality, man. Because some of these Oklahoma fans, like, I, I think that they kind of was born on the short bus. No disrespect. But some of those Oklahoma fans are just a little bit unrealistic with their expectations man like they worse than texas fans and you wouldn't even think about it like i hope y'all smash them man like please smash oklahoma for me smu like if y'all don't do anything else like if y'all don't beat another great team like even if y'all lose the tcu like just beat oklahoma bruh just please because they got so bent out of shape because i said y'all had a chance like i really hope y'all beat oklahoma man then y'all play, y'all play a school called Perry View, wherever that is. Then you got to go on the road and play TCU. Now, that's a game that I think you have a good amount. You have a good chance of being able to beat. Just like Oklahoma, TCU lost a lot last season. They made it to the college football playoffs. A lot of their best players got drafted. So they're going to have a huge overhaul on that team this year. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to beat TCU, but I do think that you do have a four out of the 10 chance of being able to do so, I think you got a better chance of being Oklahoma than you do TCU, even though Oklahoma's a more talented team on paper, then this is where you enter conference play. And you should be able to take care of your conference because you avoid playing any of the top teams in the American this year when it comes to your regular season schedule. You got to play Charlotte. Then you're playing ECU on the road off a of bye. Then you got Temple on the road, Tulsa. You got to play Rice. With JT Daniels there, I believe he's a quarterback at Rice now. Like, golly, they just throwing this dude all around. They just passing this dude like a whore in high school. But you got North Texas. Then you got Memphis and Navy. So my ceiling for SMU, if everything goes right, 
I got them at 10 wins. I think that this can be one of the best group of five teams in college football this year. You look at what you guys have brought in via the transfer portal on both sides of the football. You're going to be drastically improved on defense, hopefully. We're just going to have to pray to the football gods on it. Hopefully, they answer our prayers and SMU can have somewhat of a defense this year. And you don't even need to have a great defense. Like, your defense just needs to be at least, you know, slightly below average. And I think that would be a huge improvement because this defense was nothing below average. They were below awful, if that's even possible. Like, if there was something called below awful, SMU's defense was the definition of it last year. Now, my floor, if everything goes wrong for SMU, I think they end up winning seven games. So let's say this defense is still as bad as what it was last year and Preston Stone is a little bit overhyped and he isn't all that great. I think SMU probably ends up winning seven games but still being bowl eligible because their schedule is not that tough. So I think SMU is a program that if you are, you know, a casual college football fan, you need to pay attention to SMU, man, because they're doing some really good things over there. And SMU possibly could be a team that ends up getting invited to a Power 5 conference. Maybe they get an invitation from the Pac-12. I know they've had some Pac-12 rumors going around that maybe SMU could join and be a new member of that conference with, you know, a lot of uncertainty around the Pac-12 and how it's going to look after USC and UCLA leave for the Big Ten next year. But I think SMU is definitely a program that's starting to trend up. They have their NIL collective together. They also have a really good head coach in Red Lashley. They use the transfer portal really well. So keep your eyes on SMU this year. Do not sleep on SMU. This is it for this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I appreciate you guys for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure that you leave a like on the video and subscribe to the channel. We go live every day, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Listen to the JT Sports Podcast. You can find us on all podcasting platforms. Wherever you get your podcast from, you can find us Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from, the JT Sports Pod is available. Rate us five stars if you enjoy it, please. We're trying to get to 100 five-star reviews before the season begins. So make sure that you go ahead to any podcasting platform that you use. Type in the JT Sports Podcast and it will pop up. Or you can go down to the description down below, scroll down a little bit, and it will have the links to the Apple and Spotify versions of the podcast. I appreciate you guys tuning in, and I'll see you guys tomorrow with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast.